Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Leverett Ball Show. On this episode, I am joined by former Major League Baseball player Kevin Mitch. And uh, Kevin had a lengthy career. Um, he played with the Rangers, Brewers, Blue Jays, and Nationals. And um, Kevin, first off, welcome. How are you today? I'm doing good. Enjoying my holiday right now. I haven't heard any screaming kids yet, so. Absolutely. And, um, you know, I, I, I mentioned, you know, the teams you played for, um, you know, and you, you started your career uh, with the Rangers. Um, you know, what was it like breaking into the big leagues with them? I mean, I know you were on the team during their, uh, their A-Rod years. Um, you know, what was that whole experience like breaking into the big leagues there? I mean, there was a lot of guys that had, you know, 10 plus years in the big leagues when I was my, when I was coming up. Um, I mean, pitching staff, you had Kenny Rogers, uh, Ishmael Valdez. We had uh, Oral Hershiser was our, was a pitching coach, right? You had Rafi, Pudge, Juan, uh, Herbert Perry, Jay Powell, guys that have been around. So a lot of veteran guys to kind of really mentor and look up to. And I have having older brothers, that's kind of where I gravitated towards were the older guys. Well, and what's it like? you know, getting to know some of the really well-known guys behind the scenes. You know, you mentioned like Pudge Rodriguez, uh, Rafi, you know, I mentioned A-Rod earlier, you mentioned Kenny Rogers. You know, it's interesting because like in pro sports, there are, you know, maybe guys who play for a little bit who could walk down the street and not get recognized. But then there are certain guys who are, you know, actual, you know, movie star level celebrities but what's it like, you know, society kind of sees those people as like action figures. They don't see them as, as real people. But what's it like getting to know some of those guys on a day-to-day -day basis? I mean, it's they're no different than you and I once you get once you get to know them because it's they have to keep everybody at arm's length because they don't know what people want. Um, you know, Alex looked after look, you know, looked out for me. You know, he took me under his wing and we were still good friends to this day as far as you know what what I learned, you know, and, and it's tough though because you know, like I said, you, you never know what everybody's intentions are. You know, you want to be able to spend time, but right, if you open up that door to one person, then you're, you know, you're dealing with millions of them, right? And it's not as if they just want to just say hi. No, it's they want to hover around and, and, and hang around. I mean, we, I'd go out with Alex, we'd go eat, and we'd have to, uh, he, we'd be there together, we'd walk him, but he, he, he just, he would just have this, this walk where he would just go because it wouldn't, we would never be able to get anything done. It wasn't, you know, people could say, well, you know, he's a, you know, he's a dick and this and that. No, it's just, it's the mentality that they have because it's, it, they just don't know what people want. And, and their little, their little groups that they have, they're people that they trust. I was fortunate enough to be in, in that little group, uh, but just seeing it from, from both sides. Yeah, there's no question about it. And uh, I mean, in, ge in general, like for anyone, you have to be careful who you trust. You know, I'm not a parent. If I had a child, you know, I would teach them early on, you know, be careful who you trust, be aware of people's intentions. But the more famous and successful you are, the less trusting you can afford to be. And and people like that have to be guarded in ways that normal people don't. And I think people have no idea what it's like um, to be in that position. And also, I think, you know, a lot of people envy you know, you mentioned A-Rod, people envy someone like that. But if they knew what his day-to-day -day life is like being that well-known, they actually might not envy him. Um, but, you know, also, um, 
you know, you mentioned, you know, A-Rod mentored you. Was it, was that more like on how to handle life as a big leaguer or, you know, you know, baseball specific stuff, you know, working with you on your mechanics in the cage or, you know, how did some of those guys mentor you? It was, it was all the above with all those guys, you know, with, um, you know, Pudge, Rafi, those guys, you know, going into the cage, we had probably the best hitting coach in baseball, Rudy Hartmeal. So they would, you know, we'd be in the cage working on stuff, just watching how guys, you know, handle themselves, you know, how to approach the game, you know, about at bats and everything else. And, you know, if I did something wrong, those guys would pull me aside and go, look, you know, that's not how, you know, it's supposed to be done. So they, you know, they, they cared enough to know to say something when it wasn't being done right to be able to come to me. And, you know, I'm respecting them for that to be it, right? Because, I mean, they're 10-plus-year players, you know, and I'm sitting here and I'm wanting to learn and of course, I'm gonna I'm gonna listen to them, you know, just you know, and and help me, you know, be as, as successful as I can, even even off the field, you know, what to do, what not to do, how to do things, you know. So I mean, it was it was the whole gamut that they they ran me through with with all that. Um, and like I said, if you've got different mentalities. You get the pitchers guys, you know, Kenny Rogers and our good friends lives down the road from me here, uh, you know, Pudge, Raffy. You know, infielders, outfielders, catchers, just a different gamut of guys. And then, you know, coming up, Michael Young, uh, Hank Blaylock, and then Teixeira a few years later, you know, just kind of coming through with those guys and seeing, you know, how things, you know, progress and, and watching. Because you take bits and pieces, and then it's up to us to pass that along to the to the next generation. Well, and also, you know, the final question I'll ask you about, you know, Texas and, and some of the big-name guys you mentioned, um, you know, obviously – there, you know, some of the guys you mentioned you played with have been involved in in various controversies, and I won't put you, you know, in a tough spot and you know pressure you into talking about any of those things. But is it uncomfortable as someone who played with them to, you know, it, it, or is that something you're asked a lot? For example, do people ask you a lot? You know, do you think a Rod should be in the Hall of Fame? You know, if you're out, you know, just trying to have a drink. Do, do people kind of drop that on you out of nowhere? Is that something that's tough to deal with as someone who knows them as well as you do? No, because, you know, because it's uh, – you're basing it on on this, the, just the talent and the ability and the stuff and the numbers that they put up. I mean, they don't know if if they did if from 20 years ago, these guys, what they were doing, right? We don't know. Um, and it's still – it's going to continue now because as long as you have the money – there's always going to be people trying to find ways to hide what they're what they're doing, right? So if they did, they didn't. We don't know, right? The the Mitchell report was they told us it was anonymous, which was a lie in itself. Um, and then the guys that you know they did whatever, but now does, does that change my relationship with anybody that that was accused or people that I think that did? Not at all, because that day what people do that's that's their business, you know. But do they deserve that? I mean, as far as the numbers that they put up. You know, Rafi and and uh, and Alex, absolutely. The number, I mean, look, look what they did for the premium positions that they played, the numbers that they put up, and for the, the longevity of doing it. I mean, it's not something. Regardless of what you're doing, you still got to go out there and put the bat on the ball and be able to produce and and play. It's and the longevity of it, right? And I know social media was just when I was coming out was starting to pick up, and that stuff. I mean, who knows what it would have been like 25 years ago if they had it with these guys. Because trust me, there's I've heard a lot of stories about what guys have done before that generation and everything else. So, no, there's always going to be stuff that goes on. And um, I mean, heck, guys, I'm sure they're still doing it today. 
Yeah, and and that's the thing, you know, so many things happen off the record. And, you know, certain guys maybe get labeled as, you know, whatever. People attack their character, but there are other people who have good reputations who may have done certain things off the record. Like you said, you don't know, and things were more private and and on the down low um, prior to to social media. And again, you know, I'm not like the type of media person who tries to dig up dirt about people or, or twist people's arms, you know, for information. I'm more along the lines of like, I just like to let people tell their story, you know, for you, you know, I just like to let you tell your story about, you know, your baseball career and, um, you know, other things you're interested in, you know, interested in outside of the sport. Um, you know, I don't have an answer I'm looking for out of you. Like I said, I want to let you tell your story. So up to you if you want to, you know, answer this or not. But like, if you were a Hall of Fame voter, you mentioned A-Rod and Rafi. Would you, um, you know, vote for them? Would I? Absolutely. I mean, you look at the um, how long these careers span, right? And, the, and what they've done. Because um, it's just, it's generational stuff. These guys are talented. I mean, Alex was the, was the number one overall pick, a shortstop, six foot four, six five. The ability that he had to play and being a five tool player coming out of out of high school and doing this and being able to you know to sustain it, right as long as he did, um, and then same thing with Rafi. This the numbers that they put up. It's you're not gonna find you're not gonna find those generational talents, especially nowadays. The way guys are the way the game's played now. You know the game is played different too. Back when when we were playing. It wasn't just everybody hits a three-run homer. Guys were were able to were surgical with the bat, right? You had leadoff guys that got on base, and you had guys that could move a runners, you know, hit behind people, and then you, that lined up for the A rods for 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 Rafi, for Pudge, for Juan, those guys to be able to to drive in the run. So I mean, that's what I mean. Now it's just everybody's trying to do one thing, and that's just you know it's, it's different. You know, these records and and, and statistics are not even to be approached. Like they would have been, you know, the hit streaks, uh, strikeouts, 20 wins. I mean, this stuff is going to go by the wayside. Yeah, you know, I, I that's interesting you said, you know, I, I think A-Rod with his style of play, he was almost kind of a, a trailblazer. You, you mentioned like a five-tool shortstop and, you know, a guy who's 6'3 and hits bombs, you know, before the home run hitting era, but – you know, also won gold gloves, um, you know, and and just did everything. He was almost like like in basketball, like a seven-foot guy who can shoot threes, and you're like, that's just not normal. You know, yeah. he was just just on another level. Um, there's no question about it. But, you know, also, um, you know, I know you do your own podcast um, in addition to uh, appearing on them. Um, you know, for anyone listening, can you – uh, tell our audience, you know, what your podcast is called, uh, what platforms it's on, and um, just a little bit more about it. It's called it's it's on uh, the Dub Network. It's called DubTalks.com, and my podcast is called The Big Head Pod. It was just something that was created. Guys that asked, we cover the major sports here in the DFW market right now. I do the baseball side. Craig Ludwig does the hockey side. Um, Isaiah Stanback and Nate Newton do football, and Derek Harper does the basketball side. Uh, so that's what it just something that just came out of nowhere. Somebody said, "Would you would you like doing it?" I said, well, "I could do it and just see." And like you said, you talk about stories. That's what I bring guys on. And people want to hear just different stories. They don't want to hear the same, you know, the same. To, you know, about last night's game. This and that. Just want to hear what people think. I've had umpires. I've had uh, guys from the military on. I've had 
a uh, some uh, X Games guys on come on. Just different stuff, you know what people what people are going for, what people, you know what their you know what their child was like playing. Let me talk about sports and everything else, just to see, you know, what people, uh, what you know, want give people a platform to talk about. Some of them have have dealt with some issues, right? And hopefully that can can help and spread that to help maybe somebody else down the road. And that's that's what it's about. There's no script. There's no. It's not filtered. It's just a matter of get on and just and just talk. Yeah, you know, that's that's what I love about podcasting. You know, I also do TV stuff on ESPN. I really enjoy that as well. But but podcasting is different. And podcasting, like you said, it's it's more conversational. Um, you know, the stuff I do on ESPN is more formal and you know structured and rigid. Podcasting is it's more along the lines of like the type of conversation you'd have with someone at a bar, the type of conversation you'd have with a friend. It's open and it's real. And the thing that I really like about it, and I'm, sh- I'm sure this is relatable for you as someone who does a podcast, you mentioned telling stories. I love giving people, the audience, an angle on the people I interviewed that they normally wouldn't see because people have an image for what life is like for athletes yeah. or movie stars or musicians or CEOs or these different people who I've done podcast interviews with. But again, expectation and reality are not always the same. And I'm sure there are people who make assumptions about how glamorous your life was like, you know, as a major league baseball player and don't actually know what it was like behind the scenes and some of the challenges. And, you know, again, I I love giving people that perspective. And I think I'm sure you can relate to this. That's, um, you know, a great thing about podcasting, but, you know, you mentioned your podcast is called um, the big head podcast. And, um, you know, I read online that when you were playing, you actually had the biggest uh, hat size in Major League Baseball. And actually, somewhat relatable for me, you know, I played college baseball. I think I wore a seven and three quarters, which is bigger than average. Not not a massive head, but I got some of the big head jokes. But I also read that some of your teammates called you Shrek. Yeah. So was there ever a point in time when you had to be like, guys, like, it was funny the first couple of times I'm going to have to start beating someone's ass if the Shrek jokes continue. No, not at all. And, and Rusty Greer's when we started it in spring training. I don't know. We were out because so Rusty was, uh, we would have this bag full of candy and they'd be out there. We'd take it out with our gloves and stuff. And I'd go through his bag and eat all this. I'd go through and eat the candy and stuff. And uh, this one Shrek was coming out and he had mentioned something about it. And I said, that'll never stick. Uh, and he said, he's, he used some choice words. And he said, nope. And then he walked. As soon as we finished with stretch, he went over and told the media. And ever, from that moment on, it just stuck. And then people, especially kids, back when I was playing, they, they could, you know, they could relate to it. So it, it never bothered me. And I've, I've understood that in playing sports, any sport, whatever it is, it's when people, you don't worry about people talking bad about you. Talk to you. It's when they stop talking about you is when you got to start worrying. Right, because that means that you're you're they have they've forgotten about you. They right, you know it's like any publicity is good publicity type of thing. That's that's uh, I was I was always taught that as a kid, being able to be able to just that's just what it is, right? Having brothers and the same and doing the same thing. They don't mean anything by it. it's just a matter, right? It's having fun, but when they stop, right? When you're a kid, somebody stop. Oh, right? Well, I can't annoy you. This and that. And it's that's when you start worrying. Yeah, that is true. And I mean, you know, again, the the Shrek jokes were good nature, but even when it comes to like, you know, hate and 
fans talking trash or whatever. Like if you were irrelevant, they wouldn't even know who you are. They wouldn't care. The fact that people are, are taking time out of their day to, you know, go after you. And it's, that's definitely, you know, more common nowadays. We talked about social media changing things with all the online trolls. It's almost a compliment. It's not fun getting trolled, but it's almost a compliment if random people are taking time to to hate on you. Um, you know, there's there's no question about it. Um, but um, you know, also, you know, I, I talk to a lot of athletes about the transition out of sports and whether it's, you know, you know, division one college athletes who were on scholarship and you know, it was a day-to-day commitment, they transitioned into the corporate world. Um, that's really hard, but I think a lot of people don't realize like athletes who play pro there's, there's knowledge, public knowledge that college athletes who transition to the corporate world have a tough transition, but I don't think there's as much public knowledge about the transition for pro athletes. And, you know, tons of athletes in different sports play pro and then transition into a completely different walk of life and a completely different career. And not everyone goes into coaching or broadcasting. Some people do things completely unrelated. But, you know, I think some people might just think that, like, you play Major League Baseball and then do nothing for the rest of your life. That's not the case. But what was – some athletes talk about how it's, like, a complete identity crisis and they lost their mind. Was it hard for you or or did you handle it well? Or what was your transition like when you weren't going to play anymore? I mean, I – wanted to go out on my own terms. So after 2010 season, I just, you know, I could make you know, whatever the minimum was, if, you know, AAA. I could and go play somewhere and drag my family through it, or I could stay here and find something to do and make the same amount. All right. So the first year, I just took a step away from baseball, just completely got away from it, didn't do anything. And then once I got through that, it kind of was just one of those breath of fresh air of being able just to say, all right, now I can get back into it. Because some people just hang on to hang on. Right, they're always chasing something. Am I upset that I never played in the postseason or one of those? No, I mean that's just a part of it. Right, it just wasn't part of my part of the plan for me. So, but then that's why I think some people just chase it and they continue and they, you know. And I wanted to watch my kids grow up too. I didn't, you know, we're playing the season. That's when you're right in the middle of kids are going to school. So it's you know you miss those that you miss them playing sports and everything else. It's so, you know, I wanted to be a part of that. And some people don't. I think the divorce rate for major league players was around 90%. Because when we're playing, you know, we're home a week, gone a week. But now all of a sudden you're home all the time and you're around your spouse 24-7, right? It's a whole different dynamic. And some guys don't know how to handle it. You know, it's it's not easy for sure, especially with the, if there's kids involved and you're, and you're doing that. Oh, yeah. And, and that's I think that's not just, you know, an issue in pro sports. Any career that requires you to be locked in focus, you know, causes you to neglect other parts of your life. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like my my dad's a college professor. You know, he talked about how hard it was balancing family time with, um, y- you know, doing all the work he needed to do to, to be a professor and do some of the things he's done in his career. And, you know, I think also you mentioned some guys hold on to hold on. Some... And again, this isn't just a thing in sports. People who are really good at one thing, whether it's being a professor, being a pro athlete, being a movie star, you know, being a lawyer, whatever. I mean, some people have no identity and no self-esteem outside of the one thing that they're good at. And that can be dangerous. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, how were you able to, again, 
put the work in to be a major league baseball player, but not be so attached to that, that you couldn't let go. And that, you know, you mentioned the divorce rate that it caused you to, you know, neglect your, your wife and children. How were you able to, you know, again, be locked in on being a major league baseball player, but, you know, also be able to step back. I think it's more of, of a mentality of understanding being able to take, once you leave the ballpark, you're done. You're done with baseball. You know, that's it. You leave the ballpark and you're in your home. You don't, you don't carry it with you for the rest of the day. Right. Being able to come home. My wife would want to come. She would want to talk a little bit about it, but for the most part, it was, that was baseball. That just stayed at, you know, that was at the ballpark, you, you know, whatever drama or anything else, I wouldn't bring that home because that, you know, it just, you know, she didn't need to worry about that or anything else, but so you, you it's a mentality. And then, so uh, one of my guests that I had, his name's Denver Morris. There's a movie just came out. It's called MVP, Merging Vets and Players. And the concept was what you're talking about, coming out of the military, uh, professional athletes coming out, not having an identity anymore, right? They don't know what to do. And that's how this, that MVP was created to merging vets and players. Uh, Nate Boyer, former Green Beret and Seattle Seahawk, is the actor in the movie. And it talks about, you know, that's, that's what this is about, getting these guys together to start kind of fellowship and give them a little bit of, of guidance because they're so used to the, the team dynamic, right? They're coming out, you know, once these guys leave the military, the DOD doesn't want anything to do with them. They're done. They're out. That's it. See ya. You know? And so these guys don't know what to do. And I mean, that's why, you know, the, the 22 kills a really big thing right now, right? As far as through the military, these guys just, they don't, they don't, there's nowhere for them to turn to because it's, they've basically just been left by the wayside. And that's what this MVP is trying to create where athletes can get together with with veterans and kind of put them through a professional athlete workout. And they can put those guys through a military style workout. And then on top of it, just be able to build that camaraderie again and kind of give them a little bit a sense of of normalcy, you know, kind of like acclimating them back to everyday life here. I've also dealt uh this Wounded Warrior amputee softball team, which was started by a guy named David Van Sleet about 10 years ago was created for amputees coming back from Afghanistan, Iraq. And it was to help them just kind of, like I said, acclimate themselves again. But these guys became more than just softball players. They were going competing at the highest level for amputees, right? These guys were, and, and that's, it was just started just for the PTSD side, but you've got guys, uh, Two of them are the first two police officers in the U.S. that are bilateral amputees. One in uh, one in Long Island, one here in Fort Worth. Uh, some, uh, numerous ones have started families, have kids now, college degrees, right? And that and that's all this was was started for was just that, and it, and it's blown into something bigger than you know what they can ex- have expected. And that's why I tell, talk about the stories that people tell. If, if somebody, one person can hear the story about you know Denver's Denver Morris's story. You know, then, then he's done his job that day, right? That's all. That's that's all we're asked to do, and that's and that's what we're trying to create something where people can can, like I said, just get back and and feel wanted again, part of a part of a team, and that's what this whole thing was created for. Yeah, I mean, there's no question about it. You know, you mentioned, um, you know, Nate Boyer. I I had a chance to, um, I actually had a chance to interview him last year. Um, he talked about um, kind of the similarities in you know, how hard it is to transition out of sports and transition out of the military. He talked about how, you know, when you first get out of the military is when you're most vulnerable 
maybe after you've transitioned and found something else to do, you're more comfortable. But that the hardest thing is that that initial, uh, you know, that initial, um, you know, transition, like you said. And I think um, that's something people don't realize is, you know, certain professions are so competitive. Like the second you can't play baseball at a high level anymore, Major League Baseball moves on. They lots of people want to play. There are lots of guys in the minors who want your spot. It's not like some professions where they have trouble replacing you. In these really competitive industries, you're always replaceable. And again, as I mentioned, if you're not a rod famous, you know you can walk down the street few years after retiring and not get that same level of attention. And I think that's really really hard for some people. But um, you know, before we wrap things up, you know, I really appreciate your uh, your time today, but um. You know, what are you up to in the near future? Do you have any, you know, events or anything you want to promote? Um, you know, what are your social media handles uh, for anyone listening? You know, how can people keep up with, um, you know, the day-to-day life of Kevin Mitch? It's, I'm getting back into the social media side of it. So it's just Kevin Mitch 28 or all my handles on, I don't know how to do some of the stuff, TikTok and all that stuff. Uh, Twitter, Instagram. I heard you're a TikTok dancer. No, I'm lying. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody asked me about being an influencer. I go, no, I can't dance and do all that stupid stuff. I don't you, know. How, you, I, I know you have a dad. Do you have daughters? I have two daughters and a son, yes. Because it's more about. and more popular with, with girls. They all want to do the TikTok dances. But I know. I know. That probably that's probably how I could do it and get them to do stuff. Um, but as as far as that, now I just like I said, I do the show and then I just help out different businesses around here. Uh, you know, marketing stuff, just trying to put people, the right people together, you know, trying to to help everybody out the way, you know, just, you know, the way baseball helped me out. I always tell people that we're not, the, we're, the fans aren't here for us. We're here for the fans. So anyway, I can do to give back for, you know, for, for them is, is, is always a plus. So as much as we do right here, there's, and there's a lot, there's a lot of uh, former athletes, professional athletes from all, all sports mm-hmm. that live here in the DFW area. So, I mean, we, we see a lot of guys and there's a, you know, a lot that goes on down here. So, uh, I mean, we're always doing stuff, charity events, uh, you know, just out in the community, helping out boys and girls clubs, uh, Miracle League, uh, you know, military stuff. I mean, it's there's just so much that goes on. You can fill your schedule for a year here. They're pretty easily doing stuff. Well, and that's awesome, you know, that you use your platform um, as a former pro athlete in such a positive way. Um, you know, you do have more of a platform to make an impact than the average person if you're in these really visible professions, whether it's, you know, pro sports, Hollywood, whatever. But, uh, you know, Kevin, again, I really appreciate your time today. Um, And everyone, thank you for tuning in. Um, Once again, that was former Major League Baseball player Kevin Minch. You've been listening to the Lever Ball Show.